me just tell you a little bit about me so you know why I'm here and why would I do what I do. I live just north of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my husband and I have eight children and six grandchildren. And in 1995, I was a patient in a mental hospital. So welcome to your afternoon. So that's my story. And I hope you won't think I'm too flip about mental illness. But if you do, I would say that's my story. That's how I share it. And that's the story that brings me to you today. So welcome, friends, to Consider Yourself Hugged, episode 33. Today's hug, our inner critics are winning. Why and how to get a grip. I am Dr. Tammy West here every week to bring you tips on living a life that brings you mental and emotional well-being. So I hope you missed me last week. <laughs> I missed you. Maybe you don't even know, but I had some things going on, which I'm going to talk about in just a minute. So I, I just... I just didn't. I didn't get it done. So sorry. No real excuses. But we did miss an episode last week and I missed it. I kind of miss my podcast closet. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about that before, but the best place I found to record is in my closet. So I have a Rubbermaid container and my computer and my microphone and my pillow and I just it's all small and cozy. So I kind of like it in here. I tell you what, y'all, I really wish you could see the notes that I have made about this week's episode. There are lots and lots of notes, and I've kind of been all over the place with it. Like I've tried to decide all within the same basic topic, but I just had so many thoughts and things I wanted to talk about. Finally, today, actually this morning while I was on my walk, I settled a bit and I just, I asked myself, what is my heart telling me? And that's where the title was born. Our inner critics are winning. Now, I know this may not speak to all of you, but I'm telling you, I think it's rampant. I can count at least, at least 10 conversations just this week where people have shared the worries that they're having in their lives. And I mean, it's, it's friends, it's family, it's seminar participants, just different people. And I don't mean just the, oh, I'm worried because my kid is doing this, or oh, I'm worried about this certain aspect of my job, although those things are part of it. But I mean the inner critic type of comments, the things that they, and actually I'm going to change it to we, are telling ourselves that just aren't true. So I do include myself in this, and it's just, it's breaking my heart. It's breaking my heart that I'm just going to call it anxiety here, even though I'm, I'm specifically talking about the inner critic, but it's just, it's killing me that this, this worry, this self-criticism, this anxiety is just rampant. It's winning and it's taken over. So I have a few things that I want to talk about today, but I have had kind of a, hmm, let's call it, let's not call it rough. Let's just call it a challenging couple of weeks. And, and when I say challenging, everything really that's happened has been very good. There's nothing bad that's happened. But somehow my mind has really turned it into something different than just good. So I just want to tell you my schedule and then tell you kind of what's gone through my mind. Um, so I was looking at my calendar. And so I want to try to get this right. But you know what? It doesn't matter. But on Friday, September 6th is I think when all this kind of craziness started. So I flew to Detroit, Michigan, and then I drove to Perrysburg, Ohio to do a presentation on Saturday, which is wonderful. Um, I flew home Saturday. I got home around 11 that night. Yeah. Monday, I had a doctor's appointment, which isn't a big deal, but it's, I 
You know how you just want to put everything in there if you're telling somebody how busy you are? So then I flew. So Monday I had that appointment. Tuesday I flew to Orlando to see Lauren Daigle, which you might have seen if you follow me on Facebook, with my daughter at Disney, which was amazing. I, I mean, it was special time with my daughter. I love Lauren Daigle. It was great. Tuesday, or so Tuesday I flew to Orlando. Wednesday I flew home. Thursday I had some meetings. Friday, two of my children came in town. Saturday, my daughter Lindsay, and again, you probably saw this on Facebook if you follow me, we drove about an hour and a half from here from my house to pick up her new puppy, which you might know is actually Charlie's full-blooded brother. So his parents had puppies again. So my new grand puppy's name is Sailor. So Saturday and Sunday, um, Lindsay and I had the puppy, so we didn't sleep well at night. We had a nonstop train of people coming through the house to see the puppy. And again, it was it was wonderful. None of that is bad. Monday, Lindsay and I drove about 12 hours to take the puppy back to Orlando. And actually, let me back up. It was two puppies because one of her co-workers in Orlando, she works for Disney Cruise Line, wanted a puppy to give to his fiance. So we got two puppies. We drove two puppies. We got there at 10 o'clock at night. I got up at five the next morning and then I flew home. And then two days later, I flew to upstate New York to do an event there. And then I got home around 1.30 a.m. this past Saturday. So do you hear how all that is good things? And so what's what's the problem? I mean, I got to see my kids. I had speaking engagements. I got to see some of my kids' friends. I was surrounded by, oh, it was my birthday too on that Saturday. So on my birthday, what is better than being surrounded by your children and golden retriever puppies and other friends and family? It was great. Oh, we also had... Riley, my granddaughter, who has just finished her chemo treatment. We had her and and the other grandchildren and, and their parents. We had them over too. So again, what's the problem? Well, I knew I was feeling some tension. And I was actually waking up in the night with like tightness in my chest and a little bit of chest pains. What I finally realized, I was having some pretty serious anxiety in the middle of the night. And look, I try to be very transparent and let y'all know that even though I consider myself recovered from the years of like serious bouts of worry and anxiety, I'm still wired that way. I still have the tendency and I have to work hard to control it. Sometimes it rears its ugly head. So as I'm working through this, the reason I I tell you this is just because it all sort of came together to prompt me to do this episode. Because as I'm trying to figure it out, is when other people are actually reaching out to me about their worries and all these things that are going on in their minds. So as I'm talking to them, and as I'm trying to work my own things out, which by the way, I will find, I had a counselor I went to for years and she has passed away. So I I will find a new counselor I've been looking because it always helps to have somebody else's perspective to work through it. But I remembered a book that I had read years ago and I used to actually talk about it in, in sessions, but I haven't for a while, but it, it just came to mind and I went and dug it out and I want to share some things with you because it helped me so much. The book is called Self-Esteem and it's by Matthew McKay, Dr. Matthew McKay and Patrick Fanning. Um, of course, I'll put a link to the show notes in the book if you want to get that. I want to start by reading you two paragraphs. Yeah, two paragraphs in chapter one, called The Nature of Self-Esteem. Okay, y'all grab a cup of coffee or a glass of water and just sink in wherever you are 
and let this just penetrate into your brain, especially if you deal with an inner critic, which what we mean by that is negative self-talk. One of the main factors differentiating humans from other animals is the awareness of self, the ability to form an identity and then attach value to it. In other words, you have the capacity to define who you are and then decide if you like that identity or not. The problem of self-esteem is this human capacity for judgment. It's one thing to dislike certain colors or noises, shapes, or sensations, but when you reject parts of yourself, you greatly damage the psychological structures that literally keep you alive. Judging and rejecting yourself causes enormous pain, and in the same way that you would favor and protect a physical wound, You find yourself avoiding anything that might aggravate the pain of self-rejection in any way. You take fewer social, academic, or career risks. You make it more difficult for yourself to meet people, interview for a job, or push hard for something where you might not succeed. You limit your ability to open yourself with others, express your sexuality, be the center of attention, hear criticism, ask for help, or solve problems. To avoid more judgments and self-rejection, you erect barriers or defense. Perhaps you blame or get angry, bury yourself in perfectionist work or brag or make excuses. Sometimes you turn to alcohol or drugs. Wow. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I am a Jesus-following, Bible-reading Christian, and I believe my self-worth should come from who God says I am. I also know that I am human with all of the failings and the things that come along with this life, and I have these terrible genes, so I need lots of help from lots of sources. Um, I don't ever want to, to recommend or use something that is anti my beliefs, and I don't think this is, and this particular source helped me a lot. Now, they teach, I say he because Patrick McKay is the, the main one that I refer to, but he teaches a lot about the in this book about the origins of self-esteem, where your inner critic comes from. Um, And then he does an in-depth, detailed plan to help you improve it. So I just want to teach you a couple of concepts concepts that really spoke to me in this book. And then I encourage you, because he flat out says, look, this is a process. Don't skip the chapters. Don't skip the exercises. So I hope it's something if you really struggle with this inner critic and self-esteem, I hope you'll go get it and I hope you'll work through it. But if anything I can say here helps you start, then yay, that's what I want to do. So I'm going to do three things here. First is to go over a concept that I learned from the book that was so new to me. Um, And it's a concept called the variable ratio reinforcement schedule as it relates to your inner critic. So that's the first thing. Second, Um, I want to talk about how your inner critic gets reinforced. So what I mean is he gives us a really important, deep reason why it actually does benefit you in the short term. So how do you reinforce it? And finally, three quick ideas on how to at least begin getting rid of it, knowing that if you want long-term results, you'll probably need to spend more time than just these these three things, but it's a good start. Here we go. First, let's look at what continuous reinforcement is when it comes to shaping behavior. And then I'll talk about the variable variable reinforcement. So a couple things. Like if I touch a hot stove, I'll get burned every single time. Therefore, it doesn't take long before I stop touching that stove. 
So that's a form of continuous reinforcement that can shape my behavior. It happens every single time. I know that quickly, so I stop. On the positive side, and this is this is one he actually put in the book or something like it. He says that if you um, if your husband mows the yard and he normally doesn't, and you give him a big hug and a kiss and thank him, well. And then if he does it again and you do the same thing, and if he does it again and you do the same thing, that's a continuous reinforcement. So he will start associating. This really sounds terrible as I'm saying it, but you understand what I'm saying. So if he mows the yard and he gets this great response every single time, then that's a positive, a positive reinforcement that shapes that behavior. So hopefully that makes sense. Continuous reinforcement can shape behavior. But variable reinforcement is different. What that means is it doesn't happen every single time. And he gives this great analogy of a slot machine. So if you've ever, if you, if you've never done a slot machine, surely you've seen something on television. I don't know if they do the handle anymore, but for the sake of my description, let's, let's say that it's still, you pull the handle. So you go in and you sit down at a slot machine and you have your money and you put it in and you pull the handle, do, 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 nothing. You pull the handle again, do, 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 nothing pull it again, nothing, again, again, again. So you are actually doing a behavior, you're putting your money in there, but you're not getting anything positive from it. It's negative, 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 negative. But if you do it long enough, eventually, bam, maybe it's the 557th time you've pulled that handle or pushed that button, I guess, currently, and then it happens. Ding, 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 ding. Lights are flashing. Um, I don't think money comes out anymore, but it used to. I guess you'd hear the coins. But now it's you see the count on there and it's bright and it's and you're like, oh, my gosh. And now what do you do? You do it again. So this is a variable reinforcement schedule. So what it means is you can do something over and over and over and over. And it's negative, 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 negative. But the one time that you do it and there's a payoff, it's so good. It's so wonderful that you keep trying it again, even though most of the time it's negative. This is how your inner critic works. So let's look at a few ways that it really does help you to temporarily feel good about yourself. The first, And you, you guys, I have a feeling if you're sitting out there, remember I told you to get your coffee or your water, you are going to sit there, if you struggle with this, and you are going to nod your head and you are going to be actually saying out loud, Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. So I have three, three examples of how this variable reinforcement schedule works with your inner critic. The first one is when you compare yourself to other people. So I'll give you an example of my, in my world of speaking. When I first started speaking, I worked for a seminar company and I spoke with other trainers. If you've heard me speak before, you may think you know the story I'm going to tell because there is a story I tell a lot, but it's not this one. It was probably my maybe second or third week out, at least it was in the first couple of months. And I was doing a women's conference with another trainer. And I can tell you her name. Her name is Marja Lee Freeman. I have shared this story before, just not a lot. So Marja, the way that this women's conference worked is we would both come out and do our introductions. And then we did some breakout sessions and the women could go wherever they wanted. So I went first, I came out, I don't even remember because it's been, I don't know, 10 years ago maybe longer, but I did my introduction. It was fine. And then Marja Lee gets up and does her introduction. She is stinking hilarious. 
like people are falling out of their chairs laughing at how funny she is. Now, I will hear sometimes when I speak, I mean, I think people think that I'm funny, but it's not that kind of funny. She's like comedy club kind of funny. So then I would look at the evaluations, and it's not that anybody said anything bad about me, but they did say things like, Marjorie was so funny, Marjorie was awesome, Marjorie was wonderful. Well, in my mind of all the things that I've struggled with, with the anxiety and wanting to be perfect growing up, I was suddenly thrown into a world where I was speaking with other skilled and more experienced trainers. So I really started comparing myself. So when we do the comparing ourselves, it tends to work like this. Most of the time, you feel bad. Oh my gosh, she's so much funnier than me. Maybe another trainer. Oh my gosh, she's so much more organized than me. Maybe another trainer. Oh my gosh, she's so much more prepared than me. Oh, I'm so terrible. So it goes on and on and on and on. But sometimes I might work with another trainer. And I remember one in particular. And she was terrible. And the feeling that I had of, oh, I'm good. It's okay. I'm doing a great job. That feeling would put me at ease and make me feel good. So this variable ratio schedule means most of the time when I compare myself, it's bad. But what I'm looking for is to feel good. So I keep doing it, trying and trying and trying and trying until eventually, okay, yeah, I am good. And then it's bad, 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 good. But I'm looking to feel good. And every once in a while, I get reinforced. So I continue to do it. Do y'all know what I mean? That comparing yourself could be how you look. It could be how you work. It could be how you talk. It could be anything. But it's damaging in the long run, but it works temporarily. The second one is by setting ridiculously high standards for yourself and then trying to meet them. Most of the time you won't, but sometimes you did. So this was kind of the thing that I did with Charlie. Um, I wanted him to be, or I still do, but the plan all along was for him to be a therapy dog. So I did set this, these ridiculously high expectations that he should be able to walk on a leash perfectly at a certain time, that he would be able to sit and stay for as long as I wanted him to stay for a certain period of time. So I'd, I'd set these high standards. Most of the time I would be disappointed because he was a puppy. But every once in a while, because you know what I wanted was to feel good about myself, that I was doing a good job. Every once in a while, he would perform fabulously, especially in front of other people. And then I would get that feeling I was looking for to feel good about myself. So most of the time, feeling bad, but every once in a while, feeling good. So the first one is comparing. The second one is setting ridiculously high standards. And the final one is the fear of rejection. So maybe we have something. This, a while back, I had a, a company I wanted to audition for, and I was nervous. And so what happened with the self-talk is that I would, here's what I would say, oh, I'm nervous. I can't do it. I can't do it. Okay, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. Now, when I say in my head, okay, I'm not going to do it, what happens to my anxiety level? It goes down. Okay, so every time, and here's what happens. Let's say that, let's say, now I actually did do it and it was fine, but let's say that I didn't do it. And then maybe a couple of days later, somebody called me and told me, oh, that company is so bad. You should, you should be so glad you didn't do that. Well, then I'm reinforced. See, it was a good thing that I didn't do it. And so if we get, if we, if we have a fear of some sort of rejection and we don't take a risk, which makes us feel better temporarily, 
It, it makes our anxiety go down. And then there's any reinforcement that it was a good thing we didn't do it. Then we continue that behavior because it got reinforced at some point. I wish you were right in front of me so I could say, does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Our negative critic, our inner voice works sometimes. And that's why we keep doing it. Think about it. Otherwise, why? Like with the hot stove, when it's a continuous negative reinforcement, I burn myself, I burn myself, I burn myself. We're going to stop doing it pretty quickly. Negative inner critic makes us feel bad about ourselves, but we keep doing it because occasionally there is a reward. Now, let me throw something in here too. I'm not saying that we shouldn't ever talk to ourselves in a way that's questioning what we do. I think that's what we need to do. Like I might have an event coming up and in my mind, I might say, gosh, I don't think I'm very prepared. But then what I have to do is figure out if that is a real thought or if that is a thought that it's an inner critic that is not real. What I want us to do though, is at least move toward some healthier self-talk. And the way to do that is is the number three. Uh, These are the steps that I said come from the book that at least help us get started moving toward having a healthier voice in our head instead of this constant inner critic. So I'm going to read these three things and give you some examples right from the book. And I sure hope this is something you'll take to heart. The first thing that they say we need to do in order to disarm our critic is to unmask his purpose. Now, interestingly, they give the inner voice a a male pronoun, but that's a whole nother podcast. So unmask his purpose. And they say, when you unmask the critic, you expose his true purpose and his true function. Like what is, what is the real motive for this inner voice? But again, by him saying his though, it's really what he means is mine. It's my inner voice's purpose. So here are a few examples of ways you might unmask your critic. What he's really saying here is you got to talk to it. So listen to a few things you might say to your voice. You might say, you, meaning your own voice, you're comparing me to everyone so that once in a while I'll find someone lower on the totem pole than me. Or how about you're insisting that I be perfect because if I did everything exactly right, I might finally feel okay about myself. Or You're telling me they won't like me so that I won't be so hurt if I'm rejected. Unmask that purpose. Get clear about what the function of that voice is. And I'm going to go back even one step further and say you need to stop immediately when you have the voice so you know what the voice is saying. So that's the first one. The second thing he says, after you unmask the purpose, you need to talk back. Now, I said you were kind of talking to it a minute ago, but you were just questioning it. And he talks about something called Howitzer mantras. He's got a few in the book, but he says, come up with your own. Um, Howitzers were these powerful cannons back in, I don't know, one of the world wars. History is not my great thing. But they apparently made an enormous cannon blast. So some of the, the mantras he put in there are things like, get off my back. Shut up. These are lies. This is poison. Stop it. And then he has some curse words in here that I probably won't put. But he says, if it's if it's appropriate, scream it externally. But at a minimum, scream it internally. And the final thing that he says you need to do. And again, on this early part of the process is to make your critic useless. And I'm going to read the first two paragraphs here and then give you an example. 
He says, the best way to disarm your critic is to render him useless. Take away his role and at last he will be silent. Understanding how the critic works isn't enough. You may be aware now that your critic's function is to push you to achieve or to protect you from the fear of rejection or atone for guilt, but knowing that function doesn't change it. Those same needs have to be met in a new and healthy way before you will be willing to forego the services of your critic. What follows is a list, and he talks about the previous needs that the critic might be helping you meet and what to do with them. So, for example, let me go down here to one, the need to achieve. He says, your old strategy relies on the critic for motivation to achieve more. But you pay by feeling bad and worthless every time you miss a goal, every time you make an error, every time you lose momentum. The greatest problem, though, is that you believe the basic premise of the critic's barrage. You believe the lie that your worth depends on your behavior. The first step, then, toward meeting your need to achieve in healthy ways is to challenge, sorry, your old belief that what you do is what you're worth. The second step involves learning to evaluate your goals to determine if they're appropriate for you. Look at the shoulds in your life. And the last step toward meeting your need to achieve in healthy ways is to find new motivators. Find new ways to motivate yourself other than that voice. This has actually been a lot of stuff to put in a 20-minute podcast. Um, But what I hope to do is at least give you an underlying reason why that critic works and motivate you to wanting to get started. So that is our time for today. I, I hope you learned something that will help you at least begin to stop the negative inner critic. Please pass the show link along to a friend or two and head over to TammyWest.com to get the information if you'd like for me to speak at your next event and you'll find the the promised links to the book and anything else I may have said. The monthly giveaway will come from leaving a comment on the blog slash show notes, so be sure to do that. It is still a Consider Yourself Hugged mug. And every week now I want to thank you for listening and growing. I get on and look at our listens and they keep going up and up and up. Thank you. Thank you for for suggesting it to people. Thank you for listening. Thank you for commenting. Thank you for rating on iTunes or whatever community you live in when it comes to podcasting. And finally, remembering our mental and emotional well-being goal, I hope that you will renew your thoughts daily, adopt empowering language that prevents verbal harm to yourself and others, and make positive mental and emotional choices every single day of your life. And until next time, Consider yourself 